And it's simply your chemistry. Like it, it literally bypasses the reasonable parts of the brain because it's supposed to. Because if there's the angry dog and you're like, hmm, let me stop and think about this, <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden you're lunch, right? And so. <laughs> The world is changing and that is amazing, albeit a bit unsettling sometimes. You see, the third dimension is grasping desperately to hold our collective consciousness in its grip. But one by one, we are shifting into the fifth dimensional reality. We are shedding the old concepts of fear, greed, power over, and control as they give way to understanding, love, compassion, and community. I'm your host, Laura Christine, intuitive healer and channel. I've created this show to help you manifest your lighter, brighter future by following the urgings of your boundless soul. Trust me, it knows where to go. Hit subscribe to stay aligned. Now relax and enjoy the show. Aloha friends, it's Laura Christine, and today I'm with a friend of mine, Matthew Schulman, who is in Portland now, but I met him in Ashland, and these episodes, I have noticed, have been getting a little long because I am so into everyone's stories and everyone's messages and information, wisdom and knowledge that they have and present that I cannot stop talking. So I start out the same as everyone, talking about what makes Matthew feel boundless and asking him to tune into his soul. And then I ask him about his story. So if you are not looking for story, although I highly recommend it because I feel that we really connect with each other through story, you can fast forward to about 15 minutes when we start talking about more of the sciencey stuff. Of course, the energetic stuff and the sciencey stuff is all interrelated, so it's all in there. Matthew is working <laughs> with the numbers 7, 8, 9, 10 in his lifetime this time around. So that means he's working with the aura, the aura, the aura, and the aura. The aura is 7, the 8 is the pranic body, which is an aspect of the aura, the 9 is the subtle body, which is an aspect of the aura or energetic system, and the 10 is the radiant body, which is an aspect of the aura. He is working with the energetics of being. I am not surprised at all whatsoever that he found his teachers in Kung Fu, yoga, etc. So that's something to know. His path is a seven, which is the uplifter. So in his presence, it is uplifting. That's just the path that he is to walk. And it's the same path as mine, actually. I'm also a seven path. Let's take a look at his gift, which is the subtle body, because I think that is really telling in his work, in even the way he speaks, and in how he talks about and can explain all of these very intricate kind of systems of the body, the physiology, the energy, and the meridians, which you will see. So that's a little bit about his numerology. If you're curious about yours, head on over to beingboundless.com and schedule a soul map reading, or you can also do your soul map on your own. So Matthew is a master body worker and energy worker with 18 years of training in private apprenticeships and 13 years of full-time experience. He combines knowledge from his training in Kung Fu and Chinese medical theory, anatomy and physiology, therapeutic massage, and meditation to address all of a person's needs in the healing process. Along with his training and experience, Matthew has taught massage at the Ashland Institute of Massage since 2007 and has instructed hundreds of students in kinesiology, therapeutic massage, Chinese medical theory, qigong, and pathology. He approaches each client with a balance of heart-centered presence and practiced skills to help in the healing process. And just a little behind the scenes, I know Matthew better than his bio does. He also dances the tango. Aloha, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining me on The Boundless Soul. It's so good to have you here. Hi, Laura Christine. Thank you for inviting me. Yay. I'm so glad you decided that this was something that you'd like to do. And I love so much the conciseness of all of your answers. 
on my little <laughs> survey of what you want to talk about. Seriously, I do interview a number of authors and I will literally get books back. <laughs> wow. I'm just like, okay, I have four words to talk about. This is wonderful. So thank you for that. But first things first, I've started to do this with all of my guests and you're in the hot seat now. So I would like awesome. you to close your eyes and then everyone listening as well. Just if you can close your eyes, close your eyes. Or if not, just really feel into it and call up your soul and recognize what your soul looks like. You know, what does your soul look like? What is it wearing? Does it have any colors? Anything really? Is it riding something? And of course, Matthew, you're the one with me that I can ask to share. So what does your soul look like today? Uh, my soul looks like kind of a bright white and golden like light. That's nice. actually what I see when I go in and check in that way. Awesome. Second part of that question then, and again, this is for everybody. Where is it? Is your soul embodied right now or is it off in the distance? Is it out in the ethers? Is it hiding oh, right in a hole? Here. It's right here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and usually when you're doing something like this, you're going to be really present with your fullness and your whole, you know, your soul. So it's not uncommon for my, <laughs> for my guests to say, oh yeah, my soul is right here present with me. But if someone is in pain or somebody is uh, experiencing anxiety or something like that, it can really help to recognize what the soul looks like and then okay, let's bring that in because this is re really me. This is really who I am. And it really just helps to get present in the body again. So that's why I ask that. Thank you. Here's my next question for you, Matthew. What makes you feel boundless? Oh, it's funny. Yeah, that was on the written thing. I think I just wrote everything makes me feel boundless. No, which... you wrote, no, that was for what lights you up. Oh, you what wrote... lights me up. Mm -hmm. But what you wrote for what makes you feel boundless, you just wrote angels. Angels. Oh, all right. Because that really helps, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you, know, you have actually, to say actually, more about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I thought about it. Um, and that, that feeling of boundless, because it's not like a word that's in my normal vocabulary. It's not a word that I use in talking about this stuff. But I was thinking about it. It was like, there's times in life, either, you know, sometimes when I'm meditating or sometimes when I'm taking a shower or sometimes when I'm taking a nap, um, where I do have that like experience of that sense of just space and lightness of being inside that seems not attached to necessarily what's happening in my outer life in the moment. And I think if anything makes me feel boundless, it's actually that feeling when I have that awareness inside and I'm aware that there is space in me, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that's, the, that's what makes me feel boundless. If I had to pick like a thing... Like it is that sensation and that awareness. Is there any particular thing that will bring you into that state or is it kind of random where you just feel it every once in a while? Um, yes to both. You know, if okay. I, if I feel like if I would be like in quotation marks, if I did like an, a successful or like effective round of meditation and energy balancing, I realize I can bring myself to a state like that. You know, if, if everything goes well that way. And then sometimes it's just totally random. And I don't know why it sets on at certain times and not others. Sure. Here's something I want to get into. Would it be worthwhile? Do you think it would be worthwhile? This is totally opinion. To always be in that state of, that, of feeling. Single answer, yes. But with like the explanation, I think the more you spend time in the state like that, like I think in the beginning, like when you first have those experiences, that they kind of seem like transcendent and super sensory and they're kind of just like a bliss experience, you know? But yeah. then the more you have them, they become like integrated into your sensory experience and it becomes more of like an undercurrent of knowing that's there throughout your day-to-day -day life. So it's not like, am I in the five senses or am I in this like super expanded blissed out state? But is it really nice to be able to have that undercurrent of experience while we participate in the world? like with our actual senses, then that's like, yes, it would be nice to always have that and beneficial. Yeah, that to me, what you just expressed is the integration of it. Mm -hmm. Kind of this understanding of what is really true on that boundless level, mm -hmm. but also knowing what is true and living in this 
other level of the five senses. And I think that's really beautiful. So thank you for that. <laughs> so I do, I usually don't even ask people, so what lights you up about what you do? But since you said everything, I'm going to ask you <laughs> what lights you up about what you do and then see what you mean by everything. By everything. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been doing what I do now for almost 20 years and it's become a point that is just so integrated into my life. Right. And like the, what I do, I'm thinking about like my spiritual work, my career, you know, how I use all these things I've learned through doing spiritual practice to like relate with my girlfriend and relate with my friends and do all these things that there's just an undercurrent quality of having of when these things, how these things express out through pretty much all parts of my life at this point. Right. And it doesn't always mean like I'm having an amazing experience, like an amazing blissful enjoyment, joyful experience in that. But it's like when I remember everything that I've worked to learn and it kind of comes out in day-to-day life. And then like, you know, there's like the sweet things like working through a really painful thing with someone or working with a student who kind of like gets the breakthrough and understands the next thing. Those are really nice experiences, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, But then there is just the kind of undercurrent of when I'm actually doing all the stuff that I've learned in my life. And it just changes the kind of inner narrative about what's going on. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so that's kind of cool. Rather than like suffering through it, it's like, oh, I'm fighting with my girlfriend, but we're on this like cusp of coming to a deeper understanding and dissolving some old habits, you know, and And that's like a cool thing rather than a challenging thing. (laughs) Yeah. That is a very, very, wonderful perspective shift there. Oh, absolutely. I was hoping, now I want to get into all the neurobiology and everything else too, as you know, but can we talk a little bit about your journey? Because I think that a lot of people, you know, we look out at Instagram and, you know, the big like leaders and think, oh, they just had it, you know, they were born this way. And that's just not usually it's not true. how it is. They don't get on Instagram <laughs> until they have something figured out is what happens. Yeah. Or you don't see their Instagram before they did. Right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what kind of things did you work through? You know, what did you have to kind of work through? What did you have to, cause I know you worked with somebody for quite a while, right? Like, Oh, I still do my teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I've, had, like, I've actually had really three important. teachers. Yeah. Totally important. So I've had to work through quite a lot, actually. My childhood was not great. My adolescence or young adulthood were not particularly enjoyable either. <laughs> and, uh, Whose were? <laughs> Whose were? And so I'd like to think, you know, um, I have a kind of like, there's certain checkpoints I have when people ask me about this stuff, because it comes up relatively often in my life. And I think about, you know, in my childhood, I had like a lot of physical illness. So I was in the hospital at least seven, eight, nine times a year for upper respiratory stuff and different kinds of infectious stuff. And I had, you know, I had the more, what we'd call like empathic stuff wake up in me really, really early. So I started having kind of like uncontrolled empathic experience when I was maybe nine years old. And Wait, uh, can you embellish on that a little bit? What does that mean for people who... Oh, like I would just, I, I had a deeper understanding of what was going on, like all of the unspoken undercurrents in my family life with what Got was it. make my mom smiling and our conversations versus what it really felt like. And then like weird stuff, like people would call on the telephone. This is like before we had caller ID. Right. And I would almost always know who was calling on the phone because I'd like, I'd like see their name in my heart and then I would know who it was, you know, and things like that, where I just look back. This is like the hindsight story. This isn't the, from of the course. point of view of the nine-year-old story, you know, and I just had what I now know was all this empathic being aware of what's going on emotionally, being more subjectively connected to things around me that way. And so I had a lot of that, but I was in Connecticut in the 80s. And so there was like no conversation about anything like that, you know? And I had like a lot of harassment and I was bullied a lot because when you're like a little sick kid, that happens. Oh, yeah. And um, and then as a, you know, hitting into my teenage years and my young adult years, I still hadn't found a teacher yet, right? And so that had become, I was interpreting everything through a really painful perspective. Were you looking for a teacher at that time or 
were you just no i was not okay. i was i was looking to like um get a good job <laughs> me too time. i wanted financial success at that point in my life i look back again and i see how i was feeling all the intuitive stuff but interpreting it through like a very isolated very fearful very angry lens because that was my inner state at the time yeah. and so that was probably more challenging than the outer experiences actually because it never stopped there was always that inner dialogue about that yeah that's tough yeah so that was that was really rough um and so those are like the things and then you know i found my teachers i found a kung fu teacher started training um the kind of insights about like i need to clear my chi i need to balance my emotions all that stuff came on pretty spontaneously and pretty quick once mm -hmm. i started training daily right yeah but then it was like i mean realistically probably 13 14 years of processing my emotional pain, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there was quite a lot of that. Um, and so the beginning of my spiritual practice is like, I, I, I've coined the term or used the term purification of the subconscious now, which is that when I started waking up, I realized like, oh, I have all this pain inside that is not just conditioned on what my outer life was, right? It's actually just within me. And so I spent a number of years with my teachers and with my own training. Um, trying to clear, not crying, actually six seconds at this point, successfully clearing that out. And yeah, so that's like all the stuff I had to work through. You know, I don't, getting lost in the details isn't important, but it was tremendous sense of isolation, awkwardness, not knowing how to talk to people, a lot of judgment, a lot of rage, a lot of projections that I had about other people and all that just over time had to clear out. Definitely it is the journey. So what brought you to the West Coast? Because this is where I met you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my first Kung Fu teacher uh, grew up in Ashland, Oregon, actually. Oh. And so I studied with him for like almost two years. And um, he and his wife both moved to Manhattan to pursue dance careers. And I was at a transitional phase in my life. And I didn't want to go. I felt like the city would be overwhelming for me at that time. And um, so he just said, hey, I grew up in Ashland. That's where I did all my martial arts training and everything. I'll write you letters for or like letters of recommendation for all my old teachers. And I just flew out and visited and loved it. And then I flew home and within 10 days, I had packed my car and was driving across the country. Um, the primary person that I studied with there in the beginning was Paul Greeley. My Kung Fu teacher had known Paul Greeley since his childhood or adolescence. Yeah. So he was, if I, I think if it wasn't for Paul, I might not have ended up there, but I really wanted to study with him. I love Susie. <laughs> Susie's awesome, right? <laughs> that's Paul, Paul's wife, everybody. So that's really, really cool story about how you got to Ashland because it is very similar to how I got there. Huh. So, yeah, one of the women in my first yoga teacher training back in 2008 was flying in from Medford, Oregon. She lived in, I don't know, she had a business in Ashland. Yeah. And she told me a number of times during this training. And during the training, I had a husband and a house. and I was working through, you know, kind of quitting jobs and stuff, but I also had, you know, work. And she said, you would love Ashland. People go there, they learn what they need to learn, and then they leave. It's, you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of how Ashland is. And I was like, well, that sounds fabulous. I'm sure I'd love it, but I have a house and a husband. So, you know, fast yeah. forward three years in 2011, I'm getting divorced and I had started Kundalini yoga teacher training was just blasted. This is where you talked about the subconscious purification. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what did it for me or really started to do it for me. And I was just like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be married anymore, I'll just go where I want to go. And I looked at different places. I mean, I didn't really look at different places. I had a map in front of me and I was like, okay, what about this place in Washington? I love Washington. And then, no, that's not it. And, and it was just, okay, I'm going to Ashland. So I went. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then how did you transition out of Ashland? Why did you move out? I want to know. It was two things, actually. One was, I guess, one of the primary reasons was I was escaping the aftermath of a breakup of my first serious relationship. And in little towns, it's very, it's hard to get away from it, you know? So I look at that um, as one of the, one, definitely one of the incentives to leave. But also, I think I was about 28 or 29 and I kind of saw like, if I don't leave Ashland, I'm going to be doing this exact same thing for the rest of my life. I was working as a massage therapist. I was already teaching at the school. I had a private practice, um, reasonably busy and successful at that time, you know? And I was just like, I'm 28 and there's nothing, nowhere for me to expand in this town. So it's very comfortable, but I don't want to be like 58 and look back and be like, what did I do? 
you know? And um, so the original plan was I was going to go work with my brother. Um, he had, he's a personal trainer and he has his own little mini gym. Um, but when I got home, I remembered why I left the East Coast <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, got it. <laughs> so I was there for like two weeks or something, and then I just drove back and ended up moving to Portland. Nice. Yeah. What year was that? That was the end of 2010. So you left Ashland and you left that little hole for me to go in in 2011. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. Let's dig okay. into a little bit of that neurobiology because you know how I am so, well, you know me. I'm so like, I get things, but I really love to hear why I get them. Like what is actually going on in the brain? What is actually happening with our bodies? You know, why does this practice where I'm chanting for a half an hour, why does it do what it does for me? Other than just the fact that I'm giving myself a half an hour, which is awesome, but -hmm. something's got to be happening. So all you put was neurobiology. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll have to expand a little on that. So I like to preface like the neurobiology speech, the scientific perspective. I think it's really important to have the kind of more subtle energetic perspective integrated with it. Because while like the the scientific research is incredible and I think so vital, it's really easy to get stuck into the this is just what's happening paradigm, you know? And that's not my experience. My experience is like I, I look at the physiology, I look at what's happening in the meridian system and the chi, and then I look at what's happening in the chakra system and the energy field, which is what I would call like the the light, the system, like the light body system, right? And they mm-hmm. they all overlap, they all integrate, they're all actually unified but they merit a certain amount of independent discussion until you understand the integration, right? I see the nervous system and the endocrine system as like a very reciprocal feedback system with what's happening in the chakras. And so what I talk about with this is like normally when we're talking about like the physical world, observing the world through the five senses, we see what's happening in our, our neuroendocrine system in response to external stimulus, right? But now we also know that those neuroendocrine pathways are also responding to your internal experience as well, right? This is how like the human being is bridging internal and external experience is we only have like one neurological and hormone-based pathway to interpret all experiences. I'd like to talk about this particular component, both in how do you help people understand what's happening in response to your external stimulus, challenging relationships, challenging work stuff, challenging environmental, political things going on, all these things. And how are we having, what's our brain doing in stress response? But then also if we have powerful emotions or stuff come up from our subconscious in spiritual practice, we can have really powerful reactions to that. And the reaction pathways in the brain are the same. And so this is a lesson of learning to live with less stress in the world and learning how do we navigate that reaction within ourselves very much applies to our spiritual life as well as how do we learn to manage our own emotions. Absolutely. And so there's that component of it. And it's like, there's a much, much bigger conversation to have about that, but that's the, that's like the simple intro piece that I like to go into uh, before giving this little bit of a talk because it's super important. I I think it's more important for the internal work than it is to the external work because internal work is so perpetual. It is. And it's also, you know, no matter what happens outside of us, it's affecting our body. It's affecting our physiology, our biology. It's infecting, infecting, <laughs> it's, it's affecting us internally, even if it's outside of us. I agree a hundred percent. And I really, really love how you brought up, yes, the stimulus from outside, the different emotions that we're going to experience because of our relationships or because of the political scene or the news or whatever it may be. So I love how you brought that up, but also how our spiritual practice will bring up from our subconscious these emotions and these issues, because I think that's what makes people start and then stop, because that Mm -hmm. can be uncomfortable. I liken it to a closet that you're clearing out. It gets really messy first. And then, but once you get through that stage, it gets cleared. But what, you know, how do you help people through that stage? Do you actually want to tell, let's actually say what you do right now with people (laughs) so that they have Yeah, yeah, I guess so what I I do a few things. One, I teach 
Kung Fu and Qigong classes weekly in person and online. I teach yoga online. Um, I teach meditation in person and online. And that's really like the, how do I share skills? How do I teach people, teach them to fish rather than feeding them a fish, right? Right. And then I also work doing um, like spiritual healing and spiritual counseling. The difference, like the difference between those two is spiritual counseling as I do my stuff with my angels and all that. And we just kind of do question and answer, um, kind of talk people through their situations and help understand like personal experience, personal perspective shift. And then also like overarching, this is how we see the human soul evolves in humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. As we just talk about those things. And then the, the healing work is we actually go in and facilitate uh, energetic changing in the chakras and the cellular vibration by actually doing applied energy work uh, rather than just talking. Perfect. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about how you help people through that or what you've seen, you know, patterns that you've seen for people who successfully come through that kind of sticky stage. And, you know, I know you and I both have, and of course there are always going to be more sticky stages (laughs) throughout Mm -hmm. life. But if you wouldn't mind shining a light on that, and then we'll take a little break. I'd also love to have you do a little bit of channeling for us because I think that's a really cool thing if you, if you're open to doing that. So, yeah, I am. And then at the end on the second half, do we want to talk about the actual HPA access and everything in the brain? Yep. Cool. Cool. All right. First things first, before we take our break here, what do you, you know, how do you help people through that? What's the main, is there a main thing or is it different for everybody? It's different and similar for everyone. And it's a long process. It's like, what do you do in the moment when a person is feeling overwhelmed or too challenged, you know, then it's kind of uniquely, what do they need? So often it's just, mostly it's just like staying clear and present. I mean, I've had to pick like one thing, like sometimes it's like taking them through intense physical training. Sometimes it's talking them down. Sometimes it's doing energy work on them. And this is like sometimes as a friend, sometimes as a client, all these different things, right? But it's mostly about more and more being, learning to stay present and be non-reactive. I think it's like the number one thing that happens. And that's like a real thing. It's That's maybe one of the places where their practice deepens and deepens and deepens is the more I can just be like, no matter what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you're doing inside of myself, I'm just calm in practicing or doing my practicing of acceptance, my practicing of inner peace. And then I kind of, what I see is that it allows them to express and process everything they're going through in the moment without distraction or without expectation. And that is the moment of change. Yeah. When there's no pushback, when there's no suck it back down, when there's no get overwhelmed and disembodied or anything like that. You just being present with them through it. And that's the moment of change. It's like their spiritual metabolism gets to work properly in that moment. That's beautiful. And, um, and yet I think, you know, for that one particular thing of in that immediate moment, that's kind of what it is. And yeah. then the, the long game, the long ball, again, it's about being steady, being present in their life consistently over the course of months or years. And how would I, how would I really go about that? I, can, I guess it's really like the idea that comes to is like being like the living example, you know, where it's so easy to want to quit and it's so easy to want to get distracted. It's so easy to want to avoid these painful things that come up inside and just kind of keeping my own focus, kind of being the ongoing mirror, the ongoing point of connection uh, when people are in that struggling state and realizing like, oh, this is probably a years long process. And it's not like a hyper-focused thing. It's like, we're going to go out, we're going to take a walk in the park, we're going to do our Kung Fu class on Saturday and hang out, we're going to meet up for like online games on Zoom on Thursday nights because we're friends. But then there's this like undercurrent of, oh, we're all, we're all doing the change, we're all doing this. And so it's just like, I guess, just again, staying present in people's lives that yeah. way. Yeah, giving them that example too of, of the presence. So Yeah, yeah, and sometimes you. it's... Yeah, sometimes it's being nice. Sometimes it's calling them out on their stuff. Very often it's just being their friend and letting them do whatever they're going to do and just be their friend. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you for that answer. We'll take a break and then we'll come back and hit on whatever you were talking about, about the brain, because that sounds the, Yeah, the actual neurobiology. Yeah, yeah. That's the really cool, well, a really cool part. Yeah, that's what I want to get into most, yeah. even more than talking. I mean, Archangel Gabriel is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but he is. I want to talk about the brain because <laughs> I'm me too. talking to angels anyway. <laughs> All 
We are going to start to talk about that HPA access and the limbic system, which is, I know the limbic system is where emotions are stored and it's where if you have chronic pain, you've really got to get into that limbic system because you can't mm -hmm. technical talk yourself out of chronic pain because it's stored in that emotional area. So what is the HPA access? It's actually axis, A-X-I-S. Oh, axis. see how, yeah. how, how smart I am? Axis. Well, it's, you know, I have my narrow palate. I don't always speak clearly. Um, oh, thanks for taking that. <laughs> <laughs> so the HPA axis, what the HPA stands for is hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And so it is the, basically the, ch the signaling chain that regulates the amount of adrenaline you're secreting into your body. So the adrenaline is secreted from the adrenal glands. And the, so we're playing it in reverse. Adrenaline comes from the adrenal glands. The pituitary is what signals, sending a chemical called ACTH, that sends the signal to the adrenal glands to secrete adrenaline. And the thing that stimulates the pituitary gland is the hypothalamus. So hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. And the simple thing to understand is that this is supposed to work in what is called a negative feedback loop, meaning it starts, the adrenaline uh, starts secreting. When enough of the adrenaline hormones return to the brain, the hypothalamus says, oh, I've got it. We don't need any more adrenaline and stops. And if you have a properly functioning HPA axis, that's the cycle. Uh, but what happens in so many people is that that system gets kind of hijacked and it becomes a positive feedback loop. So the cycle goes through and then it stimulates, oh, I need more adrenaline. And then it goes through, oh, I need more adrenaline. So the cycle builds on itself. What happens when this is going on is your body is just overstimulated with adrenal hormones all of the time. I feel like this might happen to me sometimes. Probably. Maybe, I'm so excited you're here. I get to kind of use you. I have this, I've been experiencing and I've been better at it because my guides are like, you really have to manage your energy. <laughs> okay. Take more breaks because what will happen and it seems to always stem around actually, especially the podcast, but you know, being boundless as well, that my, my business and the growth that I'm seeing, but I will get some contacts and i'm really excited about those contacts or i'll get this idea and i'm really excited and it's almost like that day i'm so amped up that i almost can't focus anymore and then maybe two days later i'll just opposite i'm just like i suck this whole world sucks what i mean i don't really ever think that but it's that's kind of the feeling you go, into the pits. you go into the pits yeah yeah is so that that's kind happening? of like it, but but not not quite. Yeah, you are having that 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 cycle you're talking about is the too much adrenaline, but that's either because of the nervousness or the excitement of personal growth. Yeah, that's right? what it is. It's it's like it's <clears throat> yeah. super exciting. So I have so much energy. It's creative. It's like yes. Yeah, but it's but also a little bit ungrounded. So yeah, a part super. of that is is the hyperstimulation of the HPA axis, right? But that doesn't sound like an out of balance thing. That just sounds like a normal, you're in a time of growth and expansion and new things are happening and there's an excitability to that. But the kind of ungrounded perpetual energy is one way that adrenaline will make you feel and then the crash afterwards really indicates that it's happening from an unbalanced adrenal cycle. Got it. Where I see where I see the imbalance of this, I'm actually the primary place I see this is through social media more than anything else, where people can get, you know, 100, 200 little jolts a day to their HPA access through emotional responses, right? And so like in a, in a, a non-technologically advanced culture or time, you might have an adrenal shot like once a week, like you're working on the farm and an animal goes crazy or somebody gets hurt and it's like, oh my God, there's adrenaline. And then you express it all and it stops. And so your nervous system spends most of its time in a healthy, balanced state. But it's just like 100 times a day, 200 times a day, getting a little mini jolt to the system is what really causes this unbalance. And so what I see in people is that the perpetual adrenal cycle 
becomes identified as normal. People don't even know it's happening because they don't have a non-adrenal state in their life anymore. And so that ends up, you start to see the chronic pain and the really, the amazing polarization that's happening right now. You really see it in politics. Basically, you can quantify this as the whole country is so overactive in their adrenal system. And when you have too much adrenaline in your blood, it's actually there interpreting, it perpetuates or um, predisposes you towards interpreting stimulus as threat and going into fight or flight. That's why it's there, like angry dog barking, senses go, what's the danger? Do I fight or run? That's actually what the adrenal system does. And it's supposed to happen for 15 seconds. Got it. <laughs> but when you, end up, when you end up with this all day, 100 jolts a day, all of a sudden, like the news report, fight or flight, somebody's political opinion, fight or flight, the next you know, social progressive movement and whatever it's covering, fight or flight. Are these people my enemies or are these people... Like, you know, it just sets up that polarity. Yeah. Are these so people my like, enemies or are the people there against my enemies is kind of what. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. It kind of gets this, this, yeah. this polarization. But wow. the personal, mm-hmm. the personal thing is like, if you are like this new agey, liberal progressive and you see a thing about Trump, it's instant fight, you know, or if you're like a more financial conservative, whatever, I don't, I don't know their politically correct terminology because I don't really hang out with them very often in my life. Um, if you see something like new agey, you're going to be like, oh, fight. You know what I mean? And it's simply your chemistry. Like it, it literally bypasses the reasonable parts of the brain because it's supposed to. Because if there's the angry dog and you're like, hmm, let me stop and think about this. <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden you're lunch, right? And so <laughs> you can kind of see where it plays out, where people are overstimulating this so much all the time. Yes, very much. It reminds me of actually our massage therapy background and how if a muscle is stretched for a long time, you know, like maybe your head is pulled forward. Well, some of the muscles there are going to shorten and some will lengthen and then that becomes their normal. So it's harder. And this is, I think the next, this is the good analogy because it'll bring us into kind of my next question or how do we you know, do we deal, deal with, with this, this right? <laughs> but yeah. you know it takes a lot of physical effort to get to normalize those muscles again so that the head is mm-hmm. the ears are above the shoulders you know the head is up yeah instead of forward where as with this axis it just sounds like now we have this new normal of being amped how yeah. and one we're gonna want to change that right so some people aren't even gonna have the awareness or want yeah, these to conversations only that. a matter for people who want to change who realize they want something different yep absolutely yeah. so when somebody maybe somebody even listening to this is like oh that okay that's me how do i how do i change this yeah. what do you, what do we do now <laughs> gotcha well i think one of the things is to kind of um expand a little bit on what you said about like the muscle stuff that's a physical habit, but that's a very macro physical habit. It's physically observable. It's big, big muscles, big tissues, and big changes, right? But we recognize that once it's a habit, it's both a functional habit and that you just automatically do it, and yeah. it becomes a structural habit. Like there's actual changes in the resting tone of the tissues. The, the thing you need to understand about the HP axis, it's not just like, a oh, just something we're doing all the time. It becomes a facilitated pathway. It becomes a point where the activity and also the little microstructuring of the nerve pathways changes to perpetuate that more and more and more. So it has a very similar kind of change that a muscular postural change would have, just on a smaller, harder to observe level, right? Right. And so right. The, the importance of talking about this is no matter what you believe, right, no matter how you're trying to grow or change, this is on a feedback loop that is a structural and functional habit. And so if you're knowing you want to change, it's really important to get this to shift back because then all of a sudden your hormones and your nervous system are lining up with your beliefs and your efforts. So now what do we do, right? How do you do this? (laughs) How do you do this? It's not as simple. It's not like a a one button push and it's done, right? Uh, One of the things I think is most helpful is learning about your chi. So qi, this is like going into like the qigong and Chinese medical theory and all that, that wherever you have a lot of qi, you have a lot of stimulation. Something is going to be very active. And so you have here, you have a, a repetitive cycle going. And in your qi system, 
the most automatic, the baseline stress response in your cheese for your cheese to rise up to your head. Before you go on too far, because I, I yeah. want to make sure we're reaching as many people as we can with this. So chi, there, I mean, that's a very There's many specific, interpretations of chi. Yeah. Yeah. There's many interpretations of it. And so I just want to pull it out. Like some people will call it, you know, vital life force. Some people call it prana. So it, it might be slightly different. No, it's the same. It's the vital but life force, the prana. It's, okay. it's all the same. So basically dimensionally, I think if we have our physiology, which is the physical chi, right? Okay. We have that kind of infinite multidimensional light aspect of ourself. And that is what I'd call like your spiritual light. And your chi is in that in-between place where it's not physical. It's not part of your like electromagnetic chemistry, but it directly interacts with your physical. It's that vitalizing life force in the body that is not the same thing as that like deep, quiet, expansive, multidimensional aspect of energy. I really love that. And just because of my language that I was more trained in, especially, you know, I started with yoga. It's, yeah, it's that prana. Same. It's the prana with the small P as opposed to the prana with the capital P. Same concept and how the air is the physical, but the prana on the air that rides on the air that gives your body actually life. Yeah. Isn't, it's the bridger. It's, it's bit, yeah, yeah. It, it's what brings the non-physical into the physical and, and back. It's, that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really love that. I love that. It's awesome. beautiful. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Now, now what do we do? <laughs> and so that vital energy, that chi, the stress response of your chi is to rise up the, up the middle of the body, usually into the head. And one of the things that I see as both reactively, but also just foundationally in people's constitution is many, many people are cut off from their lower center. So the chi never descends. So what we see not only is the nervous system and endocrine cycle perpetuating, but the chi is stuck. And so we have this energetic reinforcement of we already have this tight cycle. So now let's overstimulate it with too much chi in the head, right? And you can't go in, like it takes a true, true spiritual master, I believe, to be able to go in and be like, I'm just going to rewire my hypothalamus. That's like, I believe that's possible, but I don't know how to do that directly like that, you know? But what is really easy to do, actually, it's very learnable, very attainable, is how to move the vital energy in your body. And if you can get your vital energy to descend, then your brain is no longer hyperstimulated that way. And when your chi is stuck in your head, that can be perpetual. That can be 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you're not aware of it. So it's something that really contributes to the reinforcement of restrictive patterns in the brain. So learning to breathe with the lower belly and letting the chi settle and descend is one thing that people can do universally to help with this. Absolutely. Learning to breathe will change your life 100%. -hmm. But now we start to see the the chemistry of why. Yeah. Isn't it great? (laughs) Yeah. A couple of things. I'm going to just talk about when I get that way, right? Because when you were talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally what's happening. My chi is just in my head and I, it's almost, I have this headache. I feel like I don't really have a headache, but it's just. There's a lot of presence and a lot of pressure up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really there. And what helps me better than anything is just taking a nap, but also going outside. I'm very, very lucky. I live next to, well, I live right on the ocean and, and I can just walk to this little beach and I can just walk, get away from the stimulation that's coming in. I'm on my computer a lot with an online business and mm-hmm. it just go get out there again, breathe, pull my, you know, where's my soul really embody that soul. I think that's all helping, but now to have that visualization of, okay, my chi, all right, I got a ton of chi. It's awesome. It's all in my head though. Let's see if I can bring it down to have that visualization now. It's mm-hmm. going to amplify the effect. I don't know mm-hmm. if amplify is the right word that I want because <laughs> I'm already amped, but it'll amplify the effect of the calming that we can okay. do. Yeah. 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 And then I think too, let me know what, what you think of this and how much you know about this. But one of my teachers is all about the vagus nerve and how when that's compressed, the energy is stuck, right? So if you can Mm -hmm. decompress the vagus nerve, like at the base of your skull or even in your vocal cords, you know, visualize that opening up so that chi can fall down, you know. Mm -hmm. And that goes hand in hand. And some of the really coolest research about the physiology of chi Mm -hmm. is that the physical manifestation of the meridian system is your body's fascia. 
and that there's an electrical balancing that happens where when your chi is stuck and deficient, the electrical signals actually increase. So you end up with an overtoning of the nervous system when the chi is deficient. Okay. And so if you go through and do like a physical release of the vagus nerve and the actual nerve impulses get to move, it encourages a greater electrical balance between the nerves and the fascia. That's fascinating. That's so fascinating. Really, it's fascinating, right? No, there's this very <laughs> real reciprocal balancing between the chi and the meridian system, the connective tissue and what happens in the nerves. Um, so yeah. a lot of this stuff goes back and forth. You nourish the center and create better chi circulation and you know properly tonify the chi in the fascia the nervous system is systemically supported to calm down but if you have like a head forward position that's compressing you release that and the nerve energy moves properly you are using your balancing the nervous system to allow the chi to tonify so there's a very reciprocal system happening there it just sounds like we were put together in a way that works in a way that works if we know all the component parts. This, the whole, the whole thing, the, the whole Western <laughs> cultural thing is not understanding the vital energy component of it yeah. and how, like, how yeah. tangible it can be and how you can use it the same way you'd use like, nutrition or sleep advice or good exercise advice. You can apply it the same way and get yeah. a lot of these benefits. Yeah. Okay. And so that one, thing, that one thing about descending the chi, uh, it's really just to introduce that idea. It's one of the most tangible, consistent things that I've seen simply to stop the push right? Stop mm. the stuck, the record on repeat, right? Love it. Just get that up. And then the other component is there's a part of the limbic system can be a really big contributor or regulator of the HPA, contributor to the problem or regulator of the cycle. So part of that, when the HPA axis switches from a negative feedback cycle to a positive feedback cycle, the major thing that causes that is imbalance of the amygdala. And so amygdala is that little part of the limbic system that really is managing the emotional energy, the emotional experience in the moment. And the easiest way to understand what that means is um, the amygdala is really focused on in the conversation around PTSD. So people who have PTSD, you can put them up on like an MRI and look in their brain and see that the amygdala is actually physically enlarged and overactive and that the hippocampus, which works with emotional memory, actually shrinks and becomes inhibited. And so they do tests with people with PTSD and have them meditate and question them about their symptoms and their lifestyle and everything with that. And they retest, re-image their brain at the end. And the amygdala has shrunk and the hippocampus have grown. So we see that when there is too much of a stress response in the limbic system, right, when there's a misinterpretation, that that overactive amygdala is what sets the HPA axis into it prevents the negative feedback loop from happening and sets up the perpetual cycle, right? And so this is where the very classic yogic idea of uh, transmuting or metabolizing or integrating your emotions, your emotional experience, right? Either if it's from an acute thing, like classical PTSD is like a really acute traumatic event that overloaded the brain. And there is... Um, chronic PTSD, which is if somebody's like in a really unsupportive or challenging environment for a really long period of time, we see the same changes in the amygdala. And then there's what I call like social media PTSD, which means you're just participating in all that really, really kind of gritty, trolly stuff all the time. And you're just hijacking your own limbic system by constantly participating in things that are provoking you, right? But the neat thing about is these three different sets of experiences all have the same effect on the amygdala. The oh, amygdala neat. <laughs> the same, right? And so at the end result of any of these things, in any way you get here, when the amygdala is overactive, your HPA axis is going to be constantly firing for adrenaline, which is constantly setting you up to interact with things from a fight or flight perspective rather than like a calm present perspective. So the best thing in, in your experience, or at least one of the best things in your experience that you can do if this is happening for you is to maybe set a timer for five minutes and focus on bringing that chi down. Is that what that's, you're... That's the immediate short term, right? Right. That's kind of working with your chi and your physiology. And then there's right. the other component. Then this kind of goes more into either there's that place of like the Western kind of psychological counseling thing, which is go back through your story and understand what are the triggers, what are the experiences, what's going on. And that, that also occurs in spiritual development, but spiritual development really often has also the aspect of managing your energy. Right. right. But as far as understanding 
the mind in a certain way that we have great models in our Western perspective. And it's like, but however you do it, going back and resolving, like, can I forgive my family? Can I forgive my first boyfriend or girlfriend? Can I forgive the people who tormented me? Can I forgive myself for doing these things or being in these situations and actually go through quite systematically? And this is not the easy part. This is the part, this is the purification of the subconscious part, right? Can you actually, rather than being stuck in this moment of the world has to change, the world has to be this way, I need to be this way, can you systematically go through and start accepting your life and accepting the people in your life and your present and in your past and everything like that? And as you do this, as you actually shift your story and your emotional experience, then the amygdala changes by definition the amygdala is going to change the hippocampus is going to change because you don't have that constant lockdown and stimulation based on your past i love it clearing out that closet <laughs> clearing out the closet so that, that's, that, that's like the long-term slow way and then all of a sudden your energy and your whole kind of spiritual presence in the world supports the limbic yeah. system and the hpa axis right yeah and so it's really two components there's the immediate what can you do with your vital energy to kind of get out of the cycle and then the much longer term goal realizing that as we do spiritual practice there are chemical changes in the brain associated with it that's yeah. awesome thank you so much i uh, it's already been about an hour but i'm wondering yeah. because i know right it went so fast <laughs> but i'm wondering if you are interested to talk a little bit more about because you channel i know i think since i've known you you were channeling gabriel and you just want to talk a little bit about that. And if you'd like to, you can tune in. We'll see if a legitimate question comes through me or not, because we've talked a lot about the science now and I am all about science, but I'm also all about that soul, that spirituality, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. that kind of part of it too, the energetic part of it. So, which honestly isn't everything science. It's just that science hasn't figured it out yet. So. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, and I, and I think mature scientists know that. I think this is the yeah. best we've done so far, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about channeling, though, a little bit. I'm curious yeah. to hear your story um, about that. So I think it's like, um, I started off, there was actually an angel, Mikhail, who I still work with, who was the first one to work with me. And he taught me a lot about the physical healing, the stuff that I talk about, chi and all that stuff largely comes from what I learned from him, right? And then at the end of 2010, early 2011 is when I started noticing more and more the whole idea about doing energy stuff and meditation and spiritual change was shifting to just these messages of how can we have faith? How can we facilitate faith? And the sense of the light coming through became like much brighter, much more expansive, much more in that like brilliant, infinite white light. And I wasn't doing anything different. It wasn't like something that was I was looking for. It just started happening that way. And I didn't know what was happening for a while. I just thought I was changing because doing this stuff, you just start changing. You just, you just get used to it, you know? And then there was the moment of like when he really announced himself and I was like, oh, things are going to be different from now on. And that's a whole funny story. Um, and then there was like maybe two years of adjustment with him where my energy was being worked on so much all the time. Um, so there was a very, a very real tangible growth experience that I went through that way and then since then it's just been constant like constant constant change more and more it really accelerated the purification of the subconscious process that i talk about so much because with gabriel in my energy field there was just it was so stimulated it was just it was going no matter if i joined on or not if i participated or not there was a change process happening you know and then over i guess over the past year and a half or two years where it really hasn't been, there hasn't been a lot of pain anymore. It's really this amazing thing where there's just, I don't identify with a person who experiences pain and struggle so much. Even though I still have like, I have plenty of physical pain and I still have challenges in my work life and my relationships. But inside, it's not like, oh, it hurts, it's painful, what am I going to do? It's just like, just take the good and the bad, you know, take the easy and the challenging together. And then, but I kind of switched to this like, ever-deepening, ever-changing perspective on what love means, how to apply love, how to share it, how to be confident in that, um, how to just be present, how to let myself be as late as I can be and not hide, not shrink and all that. And so it's just been, it kind of shifted from that perspective of working through everything, right? Like getting all the struggle out to kind of like going to perpetual school and learning more and more perspective about what this all can be, what this all is. 
And so it's kind of, it's just kind of like that. And he's, you know, he's with me 24 seven and when I'm sleeping, when I'm going to the bathroom, when I'm watching TV, like, you know, he's there. <laughs> and um, I made yeah. a joke about, <laughs> I made a joke about that the other day and I, I even posted it on Instagram. I said, I told my guides they couldn't talk to me in the shower anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I literally like, I'm like, so Archangel Michael tapped me on the shoulder when I was showering. Oh wait, that sounds really creepy. And it's not <laughs> right. even what happens. They're in my head. They're just in my head. Yeah, you know, like they they don't tap me. Whatever, they're just they're just there. But that's so funny how you said that they're just there all the time. Just <laughs> like all he's, the time. he's just hanging out with me. He's on the pot with me. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and we you shared this with me a little bit ago, but you know, with your channeling, and it really, really validated is the word I want myself too because I feel like I'll channel if somebody has a question or if even if I have like a question or a topic that I'm just curious about or if somebody's working through something that's when the channeling seems to click on for me and that's how you said uh, Archangel Gabriel really comes through when you're presented with an actual question mm-hmm. yeah and there, there really is a bit where like very often like I'm just aware of them I even realize like a lot of like my normal daily the way I talk about things the way I approach things is more and more similar to mm-hmm. what he's been showing me all the time over the years, you know? Right. But then when there's like a need, if we're doing a healing session or if somebody asks, like, like I'm in class and somebody's like, hey, I have this actual question. It's like, it feels like he gets very close and it's like my head feels like it's expanding. And then I realize I'm just saying words. Right. And I'm still there. I actually like when, when people I talk to them, I'm actually, I do facilitating rather than channeling. It's mm-hmm. not worth doing all the writing for marketing material and stuff. Um, or for on my website or whatever. But the difference is that when Gabriel comes through, I don't disappear. He doesn't replace me. Right. right. I'm still here. It's still me. I'm just kind of the in-between. Right. Got it. But I'll feel it's like all of a sudden my energy field gets like 30 times bigger and my head spreads out and my eyes feel really big and bright. And I'm like, oh, and then all these words start coming out of my mouth and it feels like I'm thinking them. Like I, I uh-huh. hear, I have that little fraction of a second the word registers in my head before it comes out of my mouth. Yeah. But it's way more fluid. It's way more just present. It's like an automatic. And then right. I realize, and then people say, can you say that again? And I'm like, uh, I can try. Like I, I know, I kind of know what I just said and I can paraphrase now. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't yeah. really bring it through that way again because it wasn't me. Okay. Well, I wonder then if you're all willing. Um, I, I do have a question. Yeah, and it has right. nothing to do with what I originally thought that I would mention, um, which is, you know, the purpose of the podcast and whatnot, because it, yeah. it's pretty clear. I'd love it to grow yeah. if there are any insights for, you know, really growing in this. That'd be awesome to hear. My lower back has been tight for quite some time. And yeah. I'm wondering if there are any physical, like, or if it, not, not physical, but if there's any words of wisdom or healing that he would have, or you would have even to just like, what's going on and how do I release it? Yeah. The honest approach with that is accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, you know, you'll go through phases where your back is tight because you have a slightly misaligned vertebra or you strain something, or you might have an energetic congestion um, in that part of your body or in a chakra or something because something is coming up for a change, for a process. And one of the balancing points, especially as you become more mature in your spiritual practice, is recognizing that that little, even that little preoccupation, I wish this were different, how can I make that go away, can be a little bit of a distraction, right? Mm-hmm. And that if you really maintain that whole sense of balance, you'll realize my back hurts in the morning, but not in the afternoon, then maybe in the evening again, and la da da whatever. But that sense of wholeness and being in like the whole fluid process is actually the smoothest, easiest way to resolve that tension or stagnation you're feeling. Because I think one of the misunderstandings of doing this work is that if I become light enough, I won't have discomfort, right? Does this pain represent something out of balance, something that needs to change, or is this just part of my humanity and everybody, mm. when we're here, this is part of what it means to be human? Nobody can answer that for you, right? But there is that idea of just approaching those things from a sense of acceptance first and then seeing, you know, I'll do my yoga today or I'll center my chi today. And if I feel better, great. And if not, that's okay too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Sometimes it's so practical. Sometimes it's so simple. He comes through, he's like, yeah, I'm going to 
Say something well, very common. It's certainly not debilitating and it never has been. It's just, I just yeah. notice like when I move certain ways, it's like, oh, that's tight. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just been like that for quite some time since about January. So yeah. hmm. but it's again, I, I don't have any difference in movement or yeah. anything. So yeah, I think maybe just stop thinking about it <laughs> would be a just good, stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Good suggestion. All right. So Matthew, thank you so much. Again, I could talk to you for hours. I do want to respect your time and everyone's, you know, who's listening. I'm sure they'd like to keep hearing you too. But if somebody does want more information, uh, how to work with you or just, you know, how to follow you on that social media to get those hits of adrenaline, (laughs) 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 let let us know where to find you. Oh, all right. So on social media, my social media name is Lightworker Matt, and that is for Facebook and Instagram. Um, it's light, L-I-G-H-T, worker mat, not L-I-T-E. Okay. <laughs> and just to avoid any confusion there. And then my website is just my name, MatthewShulman.com. Okay, great. Um, that's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N. I love to offer the listeners a practice they can take away and do or try for a week. And I think... What do you what do you think about the chi removing you know, descending the visualizing chi. and descending that chi down into really the pelvic area, right? A little bit above the pelvic area, but yeah, okay. down to the lower body, like the yeah, in the lower belly. It's in the beginning, just getting anything descending is good, and then as you become <laughs> more, as you do a particular practice more, the details become more important because it has a stronger impact on your body. Got it. I love that. Okay, so that's going to be our invitation for you to practice. Each day this week, take take some time, and well, I don't want to say take some time because what what is time even? But give yourself, you know, an opportunity to focus on. Okay, where's that chi? Oh yeah, it's up in the head because that's kind of where it is. And practice dropping that down into the lower belly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Can I give a couple of tips about that? You sure can. Cool. So basically, what happens is wherever your chi is, like when you close your eyes and relax, wherever your awareness and your body naturally goes. That's where your chi is centered right now. So when you're really centered, your chi is really centered in your lower belly, you'll very easily, in your internal awareness, very easily access your lower belly. And not everybody, like, you know, if you are energetically sensitive, if you feel the vital energy moving through your body, great advice, just let it descend as you breathe with your lower belly, right? If you don't have that yet, it doesn't mean it's not working in you. It just means your nerves haven't turned on to the point where you feel those things yet so then the easiest way to do it to tell where your chi is is that when you breathe wherever the actual muscles of your body are moving the most is where Mm. your chi is so one thing you do if you want to breathe with your with your lower center you breathe in such a way that you feel your lower belly and your pelvic floor and your lower back all physically move expand and contract with the breath so you're actually using those muscles and that's the first step in descending your chi getting that part of your um, body moving with your breath i love that and i'll even give a tiny speck of even deeper advice on if you're having trouble getting the breath down that far lie down and it'll help you to <laughs> get the breath down awesome awesome practice thank you for sharing that with us matt matthew now, is there any last piece of advice or b- bit of wisdom that you or, or Gabriel or whoever wants to drop here? Any last bit of advice? Don't take it all so seriously. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, my friend, what do you think? Has social media hijacked your hormones? Okay, let's be honest. We are in charge of how much time we spend on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all the other ones. We also are in charge of our phones. Do you have push notifications turned on? I absolutely refuse to turn on push notifications because quite frankly, I know how easy it is to open one of the social media platforms and then totally forget why I opened it and then get completely sidetracked, sucked into that black hole of what are they doing and am I doing good enough and blah, 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 etc. My HPA axis doesn't need that. So here's my challenge for you. 
turn off push notifications. I promise you, you'll survive. You might even want to keep them off. You never know. Try it. See what happens. Again, no need to take things that seriously. So might as well just give it a shot. See what happens. If you loved what we talked about here, if you're interested in these kinds of topics, if you're interested in energy, if you're interested in healing, if you're interested in channeling, if you're interested in the science of it, you will absolutely love to attend the Boundless Soul Summit. It is online. There are both free and VIP options for attending that summit. And I really can't wait. It is December 18th and 19th, 2020. My vision and really my intuition is telling me that these summits are going to be a regular thing. So hop on over to beingboundless.com and sign up for that summit. You can also get yourself hooked up with 18 way shower affirmations, which if you're a way shower, probably don't really feel like you fit in. You probably had some periods of life much like Matthew's, where you're just like, this is not what life is. This is not, I don't even understand what's going on. You maybe were really sensitive, but weren't aware that that's actually a gift. You're here to change the world. You're here to help raise all of us up, but that includes you. So grab those affirmations so that you can see the challenges that you've been through as the gifts that they can be and that they are so you can shine out bright and light up this world like you do. Thank you so much, Wayshower. Thank you for being boundless with me. Thank you for listening, and thank you so much for being a part of this great awakening on Earth. What a wild time to be here. I want you to know I'm here for you. If you're looking for one-on-one support or just need quick clarity, Head to beingboundless.com to see how I can help make your transformation smoother. If you found this episode to be helpful, please share it with your friends. On a similar note, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so others like you can find it and benefit too. I cannot wait to read yours on a future episode. Until next time, thank you so much, Boundless Soul, for being boundless with me. Your friend, Elsie.